episode of First Strike, brought to you by the good folks at FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week, there's another weekly sale of select modern singles, some up to 50% off, so definitely go check that out. Go to the main site, click on the first banner you see, and get a chance to win. Or you can even go to the Facebook page. Uh, there's a promotion. There's a giveaway every week that is associated with the weekly sale. And if you just enter the giveaway, the details are there. You get a shot at $50 store credit at facefacegames.com free. And usually there's about 100 people that enter. So your odds are pretty good at winning. In fact, there, there's some people that um, I think they're going to they've been consistent and it's likely that someone's going to win twice at some point. So definitely like the Facebook page, leave a comment every week, every Monday and uh, earn yourself a chance to win today. Back with Andy Derek, one of my favorite duos of the entire show's history, but we've got a special guest for us for our episode 100, a very special episode. It's been, well, that means it's almost been two years. Well, we got Ely Cassis with us, GP New Jersey champion in the house. How's it going, Ely? It's going good, thanks. Happy to be here, especially for the 100th episode. Uh, very glad to have you. I'm just going to start off with this question because um, I, I've seen your name around here and there because I'm really good friends with Shaheen. Shaheen holds the record for being on the most KYT-related episodes ever. So your, your name is, has been in my Facebook uh, sphere here and there. And But every now and then on my Facebook feed, Matt Schmaltz, my 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 manager, my general manager, will you know there's 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 a picture of you two, you allegedly signing infinite tokens for him. He's like your number one fan, and he's in there in all the comments like, oh man, I love this guy. And I don't get it. Where where did it start? Where's the love from? What's the story? What's the backstory? You know, it's funny because I don't for sure know. I only have a theory myself. It is definitely hilarious, and I've signed at least 300 tokens for him, maybe more. But uh, I think it started way back during the last presidential election, uh, even before that, the primaries. I was posting some pro-Bernie Sanders things, and I think he saw that. and was already friends with me because we've all vended and said the dealer thing for a while. And I think he saw that we had the same politics, and then he also appreciated my skills as a player and a vendor. And I don't know. Maybe it engendered some respect in him. He's very uh, liberal, according to his posts as well, from what I've seen, too. So, I'm very active in our politics, which I always thought was funny. So I so, think it was just something there. It, it was not, that's what was not a surprise to me when the, the new edition of, of the Team Face Face games you were on, and I'm like, okay, there's got to be some, some love connection going on that, that, that happened, and, and, and the deal got down. In his defense, actually, I contacted him, uh, but I did know he was a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) We were, uh, at the time, as a team, like forming our squad and then just reaching out to stores to see who wanted to uh, potentially sponsor it. And Matt seemed very interested. So we just uh, stopped looking and talked with them and everything went great. Here we are. That's sweet. Glad to have you guys on board. Um, let's Let's go a bit... Uh, of history about you you talked about like your, your dealer background but uh, you, you've also had a lot of this is not your only gp success so so give us a little bit a, a quick background of you sure i started playing in 1993 so the very beginning of the game uh, i was only 10 years old 
I was on like the playground and all of my usual football friends were not out there. They went looking for them inside and they were squatted on the floor playing this card game. And I was like, come on, you nerds, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're doing this. So you can go play by yourself or you can play this with us. And I was like, okay, they teach me how to play. That's how I got my auspicious start. What's funny is almost a year or two later, none of them ever played again. And here I was like picking it up and getting serious about it. Uh, since then, I've had six GP top eights, only one win. I've gotten a, a finals finish before, though. Uh, I have probably 10 or 12 Pro Tour caches. My highest finish is 19th, I want to say. Uh, working on improving that. At the last Pro Tour, I went 13-1. and one. Uh, Team event, though. Otherwise, obviously, I would have been in the top four. Uh, let's see. Uh, obviously, I won the Invitational, which put me on a token and uh, <laughs> made my super fan match molts uh, get me to sign things over and over. That was a Syracuse Open, by the way. He literally brought over 200-plus copies of my token over. And I sat for about half an hour signing. I had a cramp afterwards. <laughs> uh, for vending, I've been doing that since the 90s. Uh, it was very lucrative back then. There was no internet to go off of. It was all a negotiation game. And uh, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, too. So I really enjoyed that kind of uh, environment. Uh, I started my own store in 2008 called Jupiter Games. And I ran that for three years. Uh, then sold that. I started my own practice. I'm a mental health counselor. And uh, I just kind of do the vending thing on the side. I've uh, supported a few people who were interested in like running the main thing. And I was kind of their backup or supporter financially. So that's been my experience vending. I've, yeah, I've, I've heard of, well, I've heard of Jupiter Games and associated with, with your name for a while. And uh, I, I guess you knew Matt from then as well. Yeah, uh, we had talked a lot, and we also vended next to each other. We often got put next to each other at GPs when we were vending. It was weird, so we talked a lot that way, too. I find, like, when you do that, you share a lot of things, like a Wi-Fi connection or, uh, you know, the, the bars where everybody plugs into, and then you kind of just share resources, whatever the other needs. Or if somebody's going on a food or a drink run, you kind of grab things for the next booth, too. So, it's pretty handy. Were all the tokens for him? <laughs> so, this is the weird thing. And he says that he's got this thing in his office, and I've never seen his office. And he says it's a mural of stuff to me. And I'm kind of like, all right, this is scary. <laughs> this is like what you see from like uh, serial killers or stalkers, right? <laughs> he says he's trying to get enough tokens to make one of those giant things that's basically a token of me out of the small versions of the tokens. And every time he makes a purchase order from Star City, which I guess is regularly, he asks for a large chunk of the token. So, and not just asks, like demands, like, you know, if we're going to do this large deal, you got to give me a good chunk of it. Like, Whatever, okay, here you go. <laughs> there can't be that many of these tokens left. I mean, do you do multiple print runs? <laughs> they gave me 500 when I, when I won, and I think I'm down to like 100. And I gave him a sizable portion of what I had to. I, I tend to give them out when I was spending at GPs for like the next year. People would come up and just 
say, hey, can you sign this for me? You take a photo with me or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, sure, here you go. Uh, as far as how many I left, I don't know. I don't know how many they make. Because they used to give out one to every single person that entered every Star City, which is like almost a 1,000 people per event. But I have a feeling they made a very large number. I just don't know if they have like in excess or if they're sitting somewhere in like a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that makes me think like SCG does a great star, uh, job of like star building or at least giving some clout to, to their winners. If people are coming up to you to, to sign their tokens, uh, like yeah. it matters to be an SCG invitational champion then. That's something I give them a lot of credit for. I think they're very good at promoting and their coverage is like the most watched. I think it's just uh, a stellar job they do in that regard. Let's let's jump straight to GP New Jersey. Um, Andy, did you, you didn't go, right? Oh, I was there. You were there. Yeah, I even I even made day two and then lost oh, yeah. two rounds and drove. Decided I'd rather drive home four hours early than try to four zero for cash or five zero for cash. You played what you think is a really sweet deck. Yeah, I played uh, the blue red Phoenix deck. The the one with Goblin uh, Electromancer, which was like sort of a, a breakout newish deck. Like uh, it's not that it was like if you're on Magic Online a lot, you know all about it because you played probably against only it for like the couple days leading up to the Grand Prix. But yeah, I played that deck and I think it was pretty good. I have no clue what the better version is yet, the Enigma Drake version or the Electromancer version or something in between. But it was a it was a very powerful deck and. I made a, a pretty crucial mistake at six or at five and zero oh to lose to five and one, so that's probably why I didn't win the GP. But you, you came. I mean, you were talking to me and John Final Nub, and and you were thinking you came away from the event thinking it's likely the best deck in in your eyes. It's like so. Once the other decks adjust, then we'll see. Like I think it was the best deck for that tournament. Uh, but like, I guess you can make the argument that your Jeskai list was the best deck because that deck was very good for, for that tournament and for the metagame shortly after. I I don't know how good it is at this exact moment. I think it's good, but I I do think the, the Is It's Drake decks are are tier one for sure. All right. Ely, who was the architect of your deck? How did you get Edgar? Uh, I was the architect of the deck. I've been pushing it since week one of testing. I just had a lot of early success with it and really liked it. I definitely talked about it with Ian through a lot of meetings, and they all threw suggestions at me, and some of which landed. I actually stole the divination idea from uh, Nassif. He had posted a blue-red list that was running it, and all of us hate Chemister's Insight. We just can't find a good replacement. So I cut it down to one, and I put two divinations in those slots just to bring the mana down. I don't know if that's the right way to go, though. It might just not be, but you need something in the deck to to form as card advantage. Uh, Speaking to the Phoenix deck, I think the Phoenix deck is very good. It's tier one. Uh, I don't think the Electromancer version is the right version. I think the Enigma Drake is, and the one red mana cantrips make the deck like really smooth. I played against Eduardo in the top eight. He was one of my only two losses in the tournament during the Swiss. And I, don't know, I got a little lucky to do up in the top eight, but I kind of like threw all my hands just at the right time. Uh, I do think Jeskai was very well positioned. There were, what, three in the top eight. Edgar had my exact same 75 and came in ninth. 
So it might have just been like the ideal tournament to be piloting just guy. Black Green certainly performed, I think, the worst. There were very few in the high end, which was surprising, I think, to a lot of people. Uh, some people were doing really well, like Jonathan Sukenik, throughout the day, and then sort of at the end, sort of trailed off. Yeah, uh, a, a question I had about your deck uh, is the Immortal Sun. So, so you want to explain that one to me? So if you read uh, the article that I just made for Face to Face, it uh, just got posted today. You'll see that that's the first card I cut. So there were two in the sideboard, and the strategy was against Black Green. They're going to have all these uh, Planeswalkers and answers to your Planeswalkers. So the idea was that you would slam an Immortal Sun and kind of fade all that stuff, shut their stuff down, and then just win through card advantage and making all your stuff cheaper, and even making the explosion go for one more. And then in practice at the GP, it did not occur once. I never resolved an Immortal Sun the whole tournament long. <laughs> That's through uh, 12 rounds of Swiss and all three matches at the top of the A lot of them going to three games, zero Immortal Suns. So, so uh, I completely cut it. Can I, a super, super funny story. I was uh, playing Moto today, and I've actually found out uh, Kogamo on Moto is Kenji Samura. And he was playing your deck list. And game three, he played a Teferi on like turn 10 or something, ticked it up, passed. I played a bunch of creatures. He had one card in hand, untapped, ticks up Teferi, tanks for probably like, I want to say 30 seconds, and then plays the Immortal Sun and passes. <laughs> and then I'm like, attack you for five, put you to three, go. And he just, like, concedes the next turn. I'm like, wow, that's just good deck building. And I, like, pour over to your deck list. I'm like, there's no way he sideboards in the Immortal Sun and doesn't take out Teferi's. And then I noticed that, like, you also cut them. And I was, I thought that was super funny. Yeah. So uh, when I did bring in the Immortal Suns, each copy of it came in over a Teferi slot. So I did keep two Teferi's in when I was bringing in two. So the thought was you keep all four gateways in when you have negative interactions so that you can cycle out certain cards if you need to. And those casting costs are actually really ideal to put under the gateway because obviously they're not common. So when you get them under there, it's much easier to flip it. So. Yeah, I uh, I just took your deck list and uh, went uh, online right after. So I was like, I'm going to play this right now because I really love Jeskai Control. It's been kind of the deck I liked the most, but audibled off it in favor of the Phoenix deck that weekend. And I remember just the first time I flipped the gateway, I'm just like, all right, 20, 24 of you, next game. And then, so I I lost the first match against Mono Red and then won 14 straight, beating Control like seven or eight times. Just by every game one, I just Bane fired them. And there was just no interaction. And then post-board, I played against Green Black six times. And I took out all the Teferis and boarded in the Immortal Suns, and it was actually good. But the only thing that was sort of bad was that they still had all these Vraska's Contempts and Plague Crafters for, like, the creature plan. So it didn't actually work that well. So I guess it makes sense that you cut them. But certainly an interesting swerve. I played against Black Green at the Grand Prix about three times, and I duoed all of them, I want to say. Uh, the game ones are very favorable. They run Chupacabras and a lot of dead cards now. They're not running as many of the 3-2 or the Eldest Reborns in the main deck. And then post-board, I kept coming up with strategies that I just thought were great against them. You trim a little bit on your Clarions and your Sealaways as they take a lot of their junk little creatures and removal out. 
And then playing that Phoenix on four is just the best because the Brassus contempt counts were really low. And they very hesitantly even want to play it on that as a target, because then they wouldn't have answers for the fairy. And then all you had to do is make sure you'd make all your land drops, and then eventually explosion someone out. Yeah, I was uh, I was impressed overall with the list. It was interesting because people kind of moved away from Azard's Gateway like pretty fast after like uh, the format started, and uh, I guess it seems like it was just a mistake to move away from it because it, to me it seems like. Finally, the Jeskai deck has an easy way to win. It's easy to win with Jeskai with that card. Yeah, for a while I was only running three, and then more and more I was like, I just want this every game. So for the GP, I moved it up to four, and I was very happy with that decision. The uh, the star in the main deck was actually uh, MVP. Also, I, I blew out a couple black green opponents playing it. It's also very good against Silesnia. So I was also very happy with that one of the main inclusion. Yeah, I loved the star. I loved it a lot. Me too. One of the things I found myself wanting was a third syncopate, and just having an extra uh, access to another counter magic would have been useful. I wanted the fourth seal away, especially when I played matchups against like blue red. These are the things that I think I've uh, edited for the the article that I just put out. I said uh, these are the slots you could probably cut, and here's what I would probably put in instead. Yeah, I like that because Syncopate serves sort of double duty as an actual counterspell, but also a one for the Azure's Gateway, which is just one of the sweet spots, right? You have tons of twos and lots of threes, and so the really hard part is hitting like the sweet spots with the ones and the sixes. Exactly, and uh, it kind of comes in over the shock slot, so like the one didn't really change count-wise, but shock was just very ineffective, and Syncopate would have just been better in a lot of spots I was finding. Yeah, the shock most often when I was testing was killing planeswalkers that would come down and just do a minus ability. They'd come down and kill my gateway, and I'd be like, all right, shock it off the board. It's just far better to set yourself up for a situation where you counter the planeswalker to begin with. Don't even let it resolve. But I only had six counterspells main deck, and I felt like having a seventh would have been really useful over the course of the tournament. So people can uh, do with that what they will, but I recommend it. Do you still like playing the Banefire in the main deck? So that's one I've waffled on. It's uh, it's so close to really good main versus side, but you don't really need it main because you're already so good against control with the four gateways. So it's probably more due in the side, but I definitely want you to at least have it in your 75. So any, any given all of this, what's, what's your recommendation for our listeners? Um, if you're comfortable playing control, I think Jeskai is just very good. It beats up on black green. One, one thing I do want to say is that I hate I hate saying like decks beat up on black green because everyone keeps saying that about their deck. Everyone just says that they beat black green, but obviously that can't be the case. The thing with black green is that its worst matchups are like not actually that bad outside of like maybe mono blue. I know Derek might disagree with that, but other than that, like. Black Green's like a 45-55 deck in all its matchups, but like I would rather be on the Jeskai side of things. And I think Jeskai is a very good deck right now, and people sort of still don't understand what exactly uh, they should be doing against it. So people make mistakes against it a lot. So Jeskai or Blue-Red Drakes is what I would play. And I agree with uh, Ely on the fact that I think the the Drakes are better than the Electromancers. If people want to know what beats Jeskai, they can pilot the mono blue deck. That is a tough matchup. 
they're probably like it, at the least 55 45 favored to be just guy maybe even 60 40 if you have like uh, a good difference in pilots especially if you like slant the deck to beat that matchup i found that to be the hardest it seems like mono blue sort of beats everything but has a fail rate yeah it has so many trashy cards in the deck and that's definitely been a problem with the deck i kind of <laughs> want to do a deck to act like the mono blue deck but missing some powerful components like not having the counter matchup magic and still being able to trigger phoenixes just seems like where it's missing i really want to actually build a brew that just doesn't run the phoenix plan it just runs the drake's plan and then have counters and then just be like more of a reactive mid-range deck but then i worry i'm just going to slowly start drifting towards uh what morgan mcgotham played at the gp which is like a clarion mid-rangey just guy build with uh with crackling drakes in it and he obviously didn't do too well and he's a very good player so i know it wasn't his play skill <laughs> um you, you talked about how you were discussing with the team and and stuff like that and i'm, I'm always curious with, with these pro tour teams what um makes me less excited about the about the team series thing the last time was a lot of teams like they just some of them, they just have people on them just to be on them, just to count as points. They don't really work together. But uh, you guys, it just seems like um, you have regular weekly meetings, it seems. And and I'd like to know, Eli, is this different from any teams you've been on before? Is this uh, a team that's actually going to work together and play the same deck? Like We've seen teams like, oh, it's like six, six different decks and they didn't really work together type of thing. I've been on a few teams. This is what I would say the best team I've been on for cooperation and communication which is awesome. This is exactly what I wanted. My last team, in fact, had a lot of issues in this department, and uh, that part was um, difficult to manage over the full course of the year. You're kind of stuck with your team for a year, which kind of is unfortunate when people get off to a bad start or there's like some poor social dynamics. And uh, yeah, last one, not so great. This one, way better. Uh, we meet probably once or twice a week on uh, a peer in it's kind of like a skype thing where we can group chat and sometimes one of us will challenge somebody else on the team and we'll screen share it so we can all follow along kind of like pick apart plays or advise things that we think should have been done and gather information and then we'll uh, discuss a lot in there as well and then we also have a facebook group chat where people just kind of go with stream of consciousness stuff and we all respond to it at our leisure and that's active every day i would say so it's one of the one of the tools you use. Peer in is that? Yeah, it's it's a peer in, and then it's dot forward slash, and you create your own room, and it's essentially just a link that when you click on, you're just there, and your camera opens up, and you can communicate just like this. It's uh, it's pretty handy for group chatting and uh, screen sharing. So how, how was this team put together? Uh, me and Shaheen are uh, good friends and we were communicating after the last season was wrapping up about all the things that we didn't want to see happen again in our next team. So we kind of took the people that we really liked from the last team and are like, all right, let's start looking for new team members. And we're going to have like a basic requirement. We wanted them to be gold level pros. We wanted everybody that was taking the game seriously and putting in good effort. Last year, um, our whole team was qualified for the first pro tour. And then it dropped down to three members for the second Pro Tour. 
And those three of us, which was me, Shaheen, and Noah Walker, uh, were like the only ones qualified for a ton of them. Uh, Jack Kiefer qualified, I think, as well. But I think he like clinched it late. But we just lost so many points because not all of us were qualified. And then it was like on top of the not communicating. So we're, like, we're picking people who are in it, who are guaranteed qualified and can work together hard. So we looked at uh, the player list of people who were in that gold bracket and we you know, dotted down who was not taken already, which ones we liked socially, were friends with and communicated with them. And then Shaheen actually put a Twitter post out, kind of like a recruitment, like apply within. And he got hit up by a lot of people. We, uh, I was talking with Matt at the same time with the sponsors and we knew we were going to have these Canadian sponsors sort of after me and him got talking. And we're also like, well, let's make sure, you know, we have a good presence of Canadians on the team, too. We were already really good friends with Edgar, and he was right on the line of getting gold. We're like, we'll probably risk it and recruit him. He'll probably get gold. And then he rattled off two GP top eights, like, back-to-back, and just paced it. So that was great. Uh, Morgan McLaughlin, I think, was a late pickup. Gabriel Nassif was a late pickup, and that was also a sweet one. He was on face-to-face uh, last year, so it was kind of a... Uh, keeping on the same team for him. I think he's the only carryover that, uh, that you guys had. Uh, Pete Ingram was an easy pickup, obviously a very skilled player. He brought a lot of uh, uh, knowledge to the team, too. He used to work for Wizards, which was like a, a boon sometimes. There's you know, some inside information there, but obviously nothing that he can contractually uh, <laughs> say about that. So, yeah, that's kind of how we formed the team. Uh, yeah, I think people that are fans of face-to-face are, are happy um, that, I mean, that there's some Canadian flavor on, on the team. Uh, it was sort of missing la- last last time with just uh, Hoenn uh, being the, the sole Canadian. And uh, people were talking about how it was like team magic po- slash poker because we had like all the poker players, the, the famous ones at least. We had Ifro, but David Williams. I think Nassif was was or still is a, a poker player, so lot, lots of poker ties in there. But this time we got we got some Canadian flavor. I was actually planning on playing in the World Series of Poker this coming year myself, but uh, ended up changing my mind. Something came up and couldn't make it. Uh, speaking of Canadian flavor, Pascal Maynard is testing with us for the first Pro Tour. So we also have another. Uh, he's French Canadian, right? Yeah, he's uh, from from Quebec. Well, so am I. So what do I say? <laughs> but uh, cool to see him. He was uh, plugging. I mean, he's. I don't know what his role is or if he's like a co-owner, but he is uh, definitely working really hard for that fan esports site that uh, he's trying to push. And then um, you know, ask me and you for for our promotion to have like to promote face to face on that platform. Obviously, if you have picked a lot of face to face games, people last last weekend, you, you were winning. Yeah. Face to face did very well. We had first place, second place, ninth place, thirty second place. Uh, Shaheen didn't attend, so we can't even count him. And Morgan's the only one that didn't place, but uh, definitely tested a good deck and played very strongly. Just the variance wasn't with him. But those are some pretty strong finishes, I'd say, for the uh, power six there. Uh, his esports thing—I was uh, super about that. That sounded super cool. I just—I uh, don't know if. Did face-to-face end up going with it? I mean, I, I gave him the okay to, to Promonos. I, I, I haven't followed up, but uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I think it's an exciting thing. He, 
it's exciting how he tried to come up with solutions for um, people not showing up, which is like not like waiting until after the player list comes out or something uh, until locking the locking your lineup. So that's interesting. Um, with buys and stuff with GPs, that seems doable, but at a pro tour, that might be hard to uh, might be like a very short window of time in order to cast your uh, your ballots. Right. Really like the idea. All about innovation, and obviously, I was going to play in the World Series of Poker. I like gambling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're a big sports guy, but I definitely play a lot of uh, DraftKings and FanDuel. And FanDuel for basketball recently introduced this rule to help alleviate people that get injured or last minute not play. Uh, They just drop the score of the lowest guy from from your roster. So that that might be something. Pascal can consider as well as a solution so that it locks on for the Pro Tour. You, you have the invite list, but you know whoever doesn't show up, you have one spot that you know just disappears. So that, that's something to consider. Yeah, I like that. I, I know you can't talk to us too much about your standard prep, but, but I'll start with Derek. So uh, Derek, Elliot in chat wants to know, it's green, black, by far the best deck. What's your current opinion? Um, so... Uh, I've been I've been getting getting the bad end of uh, the internet with making absolute statements recently, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to be too absolute in this. But I do. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. This is the point of the show. Okay, okay, yeah. Green. I think green black's the best deck. Um, the only deck I'm losing to consistently is the Phoenix deck, and every person who I've talked to who plays the Phoenix deck says that their worst matchups are the white decks and the control decks playing settle, and so. To me, I think there's like five or six decks in the meta right now. Um, green, black, green, white, Phoenix, some Jeskai control build, mono blue, and mono red. And then like there's little sprinkles of like Abzan or other stuff too, right? Um, I think that green, like when I play green, black, I think I can consistently beat every deck but the Phoenix deck. Oh, I forgot about Mono White and Boros Angels. Uh, same thing, though. Like, I think I can beat those decks, too, pretty consistently with Green Black. Uh, the biggest issue is the Phoenix deck. And so I think this weekend, the reason why Green Black wasn't as successful is because there's a lot of Phoenix. I think the reason why... Um, but there wasn't, like, a lot of Phoenix in top eight um, because there's, like, more Boros Angels. And I think Boros Angels had a really good weekend because there was a lot of Phoenix in the room. Um, Whereas you look at the, the results overseas in, in France, there's a bit more green-black in top 32 and a bit more Phoenix and much less white decks. I think that's because not a lot of people were playing the white decks as much. Um, so to me, like, I, I think, I think green-black is definitely the best deck, not by a wide margin, and it definitely is not outside of being metagamed out of the meta, sort of speak, right? Like, it's not, it's not like, it's not like Red Black, where I think Red Black was just far and away the best deck, and you could build it a way where it couldn't lose to most decks in the format. I think um, everybody's gunning for Green Black, and that's because it's the best deck. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, if everybody guns for it, it'll not lose, if that makes sense. Yeah, no deck is like strong enough to overcome like 
a mass target on its head in this format. Like all the all the decks are in a pretty close range on tier one, I think. Like you could say that you think Green Black's the best, and it may be, but I think that it's not far and away the best deck, and there's no deck that's far and away the best deck. I'm still trying to figure out how to beat the Phoenix deck, and it's really annoying me because the only deck that I'm I hate playing against. Have you tried Necrotic Wound? I have. It's god awful. I've tried Scavenger. I've tried Reaver Ambush. I've tried what, like whatever you think. The next thing I'm going to try is just jamming Nullhide Ferox on turn three and beating the crap out of my opponent. And hope they can't kill it. Hope they don't race me. It's like they, like I'm like it's hard. It's difficult. I can't figure it out. The problem with uh, the wound is that they don't really kill your creatures, so they don't have enough things to like target them early if they're comboing fast. And when they when they do kill them, it's normally lava coil. It's not shock. It's not lightning strike. Or they can just go over top of your creatures, and then you just have this dead removal spell in your hand. Like I I lost a game the other day where my opponent had two. I think it was two seven four drakes in play. The three mana one. They played the fourth one, and I was at thirty six, and they dealt thirty eight to me in one turn. They just played four cycle things, played a loot effect, and then gave the other one maximized velocity. And I was just dead. I was like, "Like this is unbelievable! Like there's got to be a better way to beat them. I can't figure it out." Are you playing four wild growth walkers? I'm only playing three. Uh, the fourth, the, like the card's just so bad in the mirror, and the mirror is like I play it two or three times a week, so it's hard for me to like just abyss like that many slots. I side it out every time, so. Yeah, I just think it's your probably best proactive answer against the red deck. They either have to turn it, take a turn off to kill it, in which they're not like comboing and getting you, or you start just gaining so much life and putting a clock on them that it, it becomes like not as disfavorable. I think a lot of the slots in black green that are geared towards like making it a consistent deck make it weaker against a deck like that that's just all in about killing you, whereas like you're trying to play a, a, a seven six for six or a planeswalker that's like disenchanting or looking at the top four and taking cards. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Sorry, continue. That's okay. You're just gonna say you have to be able to sideboard all that stuff out and have like a more focused, straight and narrow game plan that's not just dirtling around and to actually win that matchup. I think so. You might just need like low end threats like pet collector or something silly in your sideboard. Yeah, that's. There. I was I, w- I was putting it I put in crawl harpooner for a league or two, just like sometimes it kills things, sometimes it's a three two attacker, but just also just gets shocked. And then it's like you're right. By the time I'm resolving a carnage tyrant, I'm normally dead, or they just block it and play another Drake. And and then it's like okay, they just cycle through their library. If I try to brass his contempt two of their threats, and it's it's uh. It's a difficult thing to overcome. I've seemed to be able to beat every other matchup, including the mirror, just not not that deck yet. How have you fared against Jessica? Uh, I think I'm two one against your version, and like I've played the other version with no gate, and I'm I think it's actually better without the gate, uh, simply because or it's better for me without the gate simply because they will just randomly kill me. Like you said, game one's really, really difficult. Um, but games two and three with duress, and I get to cut all my chupacabras, I just answer your Teferi as soon as I can, and then try to resolve a Carnage Tyrant as soon as I can. There's only like 
there's what one start of extinction, then you can copy the 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 pirate the, the three mana deal on five mana. And then other than that, if I can just beat those two things, normally I can I can win the game. Like I think I beat Fabiano on your list two days ago, and then I beat Kenji Samura earlier today, and those are the only the two people I played on it. Um so very good pilots. So I'm sure that they were playing it pretty well too. Yeah, I didn't even know it was either of them. Somebody somebody told me afterwards. <laughs> I'd say that's really good result because uh, you know, like I was saying. I was two owing them at the GP, and I played three different pilots, and they were all very competent players, also. But there's always list differences and, and styles in which people play. I think that you can play the matchup from the black green side against Jeskai a million different ways. I had one opponent, he stone read me on settle and was only attacking with one creature a turn. But that also, I think, let me live so many turns that I was able to just make this gigantic explosion for seven and fill my hand. And I was like, all right, from here I can't lose. And then another opponent who just swung all in and got three for one early with a settle, but then also had mana that he could start playing everything else. And then I had trouble dealing with a Carnage Tyrant. But if he didn't have the Carnage Tyrant and it was something else and I could counter it, then obviously the game was in my hands too. So it's very draw-dependent, I'm finding. Yeah, and and, once- um, I was going to say that your your list has a lot of, like I want to say random cards, but they're obviously very well thought out. It's very hard to play around Star of Extinction and Settle and Deafening Clarion and you fireballing me for a million when you flip your your thing. Like I had my opponent at two and they just flipped it, gained five life, tapped it for seven, ticked up to fairy, tapped it for seven, killed me on like their end step, and I was at like twenty-four or something, and they were dead the following turn. It's like okay, if I knew I could play around this, like maybe I like I, I looked through the game and I'm like, there's no way I could play around this, but like I had to play around settle because they eventually cast settle when they were on two life, but I just died the following turn. Like, yeah, <sighs> I had one against a green black opponent where he cast Carnage Tyrant, feeling safe at like fourteen, and I had a decent number of lands out. But I ionized the Carnage Tyrant. He kind of like laughed at me, thinking like I didn't know that it can't counter it. I uh, expansion copied ionized ionizing uh, Carnage Tyrant again, and then brought him to ten, and then untapped. And then land past the turn, he hit me for a seven, like putting me down to four, just and like played all these other threats, all these other planeswalkers. And I was like, all right, end of your turn, explosion you for five, draw five, explosion you for five on my turn. It's just kind of like, damn, that was well thought out. Like, oh, thanks. That's like the only way I was going to win that. He's like, yeah, it really was. Like showing me this handful of busted stuff. Yeah, the, the Jeskai matchup is definitely difficult. Um, and th- this is why I really like this format too. Like I-, I mentioned earlier, I think Green Black's the best deck, but I think it's not by a wide margin. I think it's because the Jeskai decks are difficult. I think it's because the Green uh, the Green Black Mirrors are difficult. I think it's because Mono Red's still difficult. Uh, Boros Angels is difficult. And like as the format moves forward, people are figuring out different things, whether it be to call the Honor Guard or fireballing you for a million or turbo um frenzy or mono blue i can't say the word on the podcast but you understand what i mean um i think i think the format's very diverse and i like it a lot it's a good thing i only play one deck yeah this might be one of the best standard formats in a very long time like in recent memory there's just all these decks are like very close in power level 
And I don't think you can reasonably cover everything to make everything a good matchup. Like green black has the best part about it is how it can like morph to beating whatever it needs to beat. And it can do that, but it can't beat everything at once. So you kind of got to figure out exactly what you want to beat every weekend. And that's just, I think it's going to end up being a really cool format for that reason. Um, you, you, one one last question before you run. Um, is is it going to be challenging now that like you know, your deck's out? We're two weeks away. Going to have to innovate on top of that. Is that is that the challenge here? Yeah, it definitely is. I either have to not play the deck because everybody will know what I'm playing and know my list, or I have to significantly change it in some way that. People can't uh, expect what I'm playing and just play around it and just get me that way. Especially on the Pro Tour, players are very skilled and savvy. They'll figure out a creative way to like sneak through my defenses and, and beat me. So I need to figure out a way to innovate again. I didn't expect to get so much coverage with the deck at a GP with no coverage, but winning will do that. So now I have to come up with something new or something else, maybe. All right, so... That will do it for Ely. Cease, if you want, I'll make sure to go up to him at any event. Chill guy with his token. Get him to sign it. And uh, if you want to check out his article, go to magic.facefacegames.com. Any last words? Uh, no, not for me. Thanks for having me, though. I really appreciate it. I hope uh, all those viewers out there got what they wanted from it. I've had a lot of people message and ask for stuff. Definitely read the article on facefacegames.com. It, uh, it answers most things and has most of what I would want to say about the deck in it. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I hope to get you back on once you win the Pro Tour. So That would be awesome. <laughs> it's been hot. It's been hot. The, the, the guests have been hot. Edgar, you, let's go. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody. That was Ely Cease, GP New Jersey champion. What a guest. What a sweet guest, Danny. He's got such a sweet, sultry voice. I, I wanted to make sure that did we dive into that question that was asked in the, in the nation enough? The why Jeskai Gateway over Jeskai Not Gateway? Yeah. Uh, I don't think we touched exactly on it, but what it does is uh, it it like sort of fundamentally changes the way Jeskai tries to win the game. Before, it was sort of like winning was a relative afterthought. You had to like burn them out with a expansion explosion, but you had to do it the hard way. You had to like 12 them, 10 them, and sometimes when they gained a lot of life, it became the almost impossible way, so you'd have to Teferi lock them. Which, I've had actually a lot of issues Teferi locking people because I've drawn so many cards that I fi- often find myself in a position where I can't plus the Teferi that much, ultimate it, and then have another one to, to play after that. But um, basically what it does is it helps you win the game a lot faster, and it doesn't hurt the power level of your deck that much. To, in order to do that. So I think it's just a good thing. Like sometimes you can draw multiple, sometimes you can like kind of have mopey hands where you can't flip it very well and you just have this weird merfolk looter in play. But it gives you sort of inevitability. And that's pretty important when uh, the way you were trying to win before was jumping through quite some hoops. Like you might even have to play some lightning strikes so you could kill them fast enough. I think, uh, I think also that this version was really good this weekend because it wasn't that well known and it's re- it's when when you know what the control deck is constantly doing whether it be hold up four mana for settle hold up three mana for sinister sabotage 
or uh, like lightning strike your creature. It's it's sort of easy to play around. You can play play your turns a bit better, play a couple turns in advance. With Eli's list, it's like there's so many things going on, and there's like these sprinkle of ones and twos, and then you have this gateway in play. It's like super hard to play around so many things. It's like, well, how many star extinctions is he playing? How many settles is he playing? How many like why is he playing two divination? You know, it's it's just like three ionized, two syncopate. If I didn't see his deck list up before the event, it would be very hard for me to play around his deck at the, at the GP. I think that's one reason why, um, like, A, this deck did so well this weekend, and B, because and because this one's, like, why you'd want to play this version differently. Because you can sort of, like, play a little bit of a surprise factor, I think. I think it's also sort of interesting that it only plays, like, one Chemist's Insight. And that's like one of the main pressure points a lot of decks really wanted to hit on against uh, Jeskai is to like make sure you jam something the Chemist's Insight turn because the last thing you can let them do is just to cast it for free. And now you're like, they don't really even play it. <laughs> so like, does that make you more or less likely to jam in those spots? Like, do you have because now you have to worry about other cards. And if there's a gateway in play, you're like the pressure's on to kill them fast. But at the same time, that just plays into Wraths. So the gateway kind of swings the pressure the other way, which is exactly what you want to do. You want the green-black player to feel like they have to play into Clarion or that they have to, like, jam their Vivian to try and kill this gateway. It's like, that, that's a good angle that a Jeskai deck really wants. Has there been a... Has this been the case, uh, Derek, for, for other PTs where there's GP so close to the event, and now it's like it's not like just random SCG opens um, that uh, give you a, a hint as as to the format. Now, now we're getting GPs. Um, not that I can think of in recent memory. There hasn't really been like the last couple of PTs the ones that I've played in and the ones up to that point, um, even before they, like they moved the PTs before they moved them back to five weeks, they were two weeks or three weeks after. Um, most of this information was on magic online, but it was sort of like, it wasn't tuned and it was like, it literally could be anybody playing these lists. Now you see people that, you know, will be playing at the PT bringing these lists to second first and ninth um it's uh it's like it's it's sort of interesting because it it does sort of open up the format like i had seen when i played the ptq that i came ninth in a couple weekends ago um i played against tyler nightingale who was on a very similar list to eli's with gateway in his deck um and he actually had he was going to beat me but he scooped to me because my record my tie breaks were better which is why i came in ninth um but he I was playing against a list like that early in the format, like Andy said, and people moved away from it because it was bad in the decks where you didn't want to play an artifact on two. But that's because the deck wasn't built properly like Eli's was for the, the sort of metagame. Once the metagame settled, you have like this control list, but um, it's, it's, very, it's very weird because now that this deck's in the open and like I think I know how to beat it, I think other people can figure out how to beat it. Eli said himself that Mono Blue is a tough matchup. Um, 
I don't, I don't know if you'll see people be brave enough to play this at the PT and maybe people will try to next level and be like, okay, well, if nobody's playing this deck at the PT, maybe I'll play this deck at the PT. Um, there's this really interesting article that um, uh, Manguchi wrote about testing a deck and tuning it for a pro tour metagame compared to having a breakout deck because with the way that magic online works, it's really hard to have breakout decks nowadays. And I think we see this with the grand prix results. Um, and if anybody wants to go watch or read that, it's, I think it's on channel fireball, but it, it took a kind of really interesting look at how you should be saving information or hiding these decks. You should just be tuning them and fixing them so you can play the best deck the best because the majority of information will be out already. I think that's like sort of a good reason to play decks like this at a, at a GP a couple of weeks before compared to trying to save all the information, even if you do get a slight edge. Um, but maybe the PT will be completely different than we predict it will be. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say, right? This is one of the first formats where we haven't had Kaladesh in it where there's not impressive Kaladesh cards in them. And I'm really excited for this Pro Tour, personally. Do you think the PGO and Brad Nelson will play Boros Angels at the Pro Tour? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say that Brad played Angels this weekend because he thought people would play Phoenix because he also thought people would play Green-Black. And I think... Because of those three things, he decided to play Angels. I don't think they'll play Angels at the PT, um, if I had to guess. But I also wouldn't have guessed that they played Angels this weekend. Um, but I think that's what makes them better players than I am, is their willingness to change decks in uh, metagame choices, where I would just jam a deck that I'm comfortable with, even though I think it might be less favored against the most played deck, which is gunning for my deck. Like I would never, currently at, at my play skill, I would never play Boros Angels at GP New Jersey. Even if you told me there would be 18 copies or whatever in top 32, I just don't, I wouldn't be able to bring myself to do it right now. And I think that's why, obviously they're better than I am, but I think that's, that's one of the reasons. So like they, they could literally be playing anything and, and I don't know. It's uh it's, it's hard question to answer. <laughs> Yeah, I keep uh, I keep thinking like Boros Angels is sort of the perfect deck for like the a, pro, a bunch of pros to play this weekend because of the expected metagame and the fact that there's just like nothing secret about it. It was like the week one best deck, like it was the best performing deck week one for sure. I, and I think, and so it's just super safe to play it because it's just very like known. So they're not leaking anything, and they're still keeping like a very high equity in this tournament. So I wonder if like that was a large consideration to why they played Boros Angels, or was it just they thought it was the best deck for the weekend? I would I would assume that it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I think teams like them want to hide information as much as possible because they're one of the bigger teams, and if you know what they're playing and you know what they're thinking about, it's it's easier to prepare for it. But at the same time, I also I also heavily believe that um, Brad played that deck because he thought there would be a lot of Phoenix, and he also thought that Angels was good against Phoenix and Phoenix archetypes. Because um, I know he was in my stream at one point. He actually subbed to my channel to read the the guide I, I, I wrote 
and he asked me about Black Green. Whoa, and, whoa. Uh, yeah, him, him and Ari. Uh, I like it, I like it. Um, MTGO Superstar, it's not just a name. It's not just a yeah. name, folks. He sent me a message at one point asking about Black Green, like, do I think it's a good choice for this weekend or whatever? And we, we had like a five-comment conversation about it. But uh, I said it's, it's really hard to play the fair deck consistently when everybody's gunning for you. And I think that, like, he also sort of thought that. And I think it would be dangerous for, for somebody like him to play black-green at an event like that. And Angels obviously worked out really well for him. But I, I also don't know. Like, he didn't, he didn't tell me these things. Um, I think Angels was a really good choice. I think if Eli wasn't there, he would have won the GP. <laughs> I think I think you brought a good point, Derek. Though about how you wouldn't know how to play certain decks, like like Jessica, not knowing the exact configuration to make them really hard to play. And there's definitely uh, that edge. I feel like because I I know I play really poorly against decks where I just have no clue what's going on. <laughs> I've I've been those are some of the games where I feel the most lost. And they just have a huge edge because they have this this one of or two of that I couldn't possibly play around. Yeah, I think um, I think that just goes to show, like early in the format, like Andy said, Boros Angels had one of the best week one uh, numbers, and then we started seeing Black Green, and then Black Green slowly dropped off. That's because we started seeing more Phoenix. I think that's it's just the same. Like somebody start playing a deck to good success, then people figure out how to beat it, and it's just over and over and over again. Um, but that just shows it's a good standard format. Maybe I'll get unlucky and there'll be uh, no citywide buses in any sideboards of this standard uh, season, like I said, there would be in week one. Yeah, do you remember when we all thought Mono Green was just like Slam Dunk going to be one of the best decks like, for, for at least for a little bit? Just never good ever. Yeah, we, we just thought that Mono Green had the two best one-drops in the format. We're just like wrong. And we just slept on Experimental Frenzy. Yeah. Whoopers Farm remembers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. But Derek, if I recall, you told me that there would be no copies of Ionize in any premier event top eight. Was there or, copies of Ionize? Eli's playing Ionize. Was he? I, I, yes. thought he only had, I thought he only had 57 cards in his deck. <laughs> he was playing Ionize. Wow. First GP, get out of town. It was the second GP, all right? It was a couple hours after the French one. So eat your words. It's, it's, oh. better than, uh, it's better than sabotage, and I said it the whole time. It's, I'm saying. it's not better. It's just easier to cast. That's why it's better. <laughs> lightning, or lightning bolt is better than lightning strike, Derek. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> and yeah, I hate, I hate to put you on the spot here, but there's 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 a there's a hot take in the chat, and I just gotta get your opinion. Someone thinks John Watson is the best player in Canada. Like, what's is there a backstory to this? Uh, it's just decades of unrecognized talent finally coming to fruition. I was gonna say it, but I didn't think anybody else would stand with me. I'm really happy that we all all think that this person that nobody's really heard about until now is the best player in 
Maybe bang, not. bang. In recent memory, at the very least. And I have a horrible memory. <laughs> move, move, move along, Haynes. Stearns, like, move away. <laughs> Siows. It's the Sammy T's. Actually, who is the best player right now? It has Probably. to be Edgar. Yeah, it has the hottest of the hottest player of the year, Canadian player of the year, has to be Edgar. Not I mean, close. Probably uh, Hayne. I would still go Hayne. Yes, probably Hayne. He's still he's still platinum. <laughs> Hain because Hayne Hayne like broke out five years ago. But um, like, I think maybe like consistent consistent performance. Like I, I I've always had him as my number one. Like I've even. No shade on him. He's obviously someone that I felt even to this day is, is the number one most talented player in the world. That's that's my personal opinion. I've had that opinion since the beginning, since, since even before he won the Pro Tour, actually. Uh, but I think in terms of coverage, and I think we haven't seen him much, right? It's It's been Edgar not close. Am I wrong about that? Um, I think I think Edgar is just having a, a better come up. Like when Hayne broke out, he just what was it, his second or third PT or fifth PT, and then just wins a pro tour. It's like, okay, this guy's really good at magic. He's a Canadian icon sort of thing, right? Even, like, Eduardo is Canadian, right? And he just top-aided the GP also, um, and he was platinum last season. I, I think, like, there's, like, we've said this a lot, but there's so many good Canadian magic players around right now, and uh, I definitely think Edgar is the most, the most, uh, He's getting the most coverage right now simply because he's on the, the up and up, right? Yeah, and, he, and uh, yeah, I completely forgot. And he crushes SCGs, that's why. He's getting that coverage too, and he's, more, he's always in the news. Yeah, I think, I think give it five years and maybe Edgar would be there. Uh, but I, I definitely think, like, even Edgar and Chad is saying, like, Payne, Pascal, uh, Eduardo Sachelik, like... John Watson? Yeah, John Watson. Let's not forget about that one. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't know what the troll yeah. is. So it's not a troll. I'm not. I'm not throwing shade, peeps. It's people in the chat. I'm not throwing shade. I don't know what's going on. Alex just sort of had the quietest platinum year ever. No GP top eights. No Pro Tour top eights. Still platinum. It's like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. To and, still be platinum and and do that like. That's it's, such a crazy, quiet year. At that point, it's, it's hard for him not to feel um, discouraged a bit because it's not just this year. There's the year, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, like when BBD ended up winning um, the world champion, I think Kane lost a tiebreaker to, to be qualified for that world championship. I, I think and he's then, lost multiple tiebreakers. Right, in low-key, really good years. And I, I, I actually didn't even know Shahara was having a good year. That's why he was qualified for Four Worlds, because of his, like, top 16s at the PTs that no one, um, well, at least I, I wasn't really aware of. Um, and I'm like, wow, he's back on it. Like, how? But he's had a very good, consistent year. And Payne uh, has had consistent platinum years for a while now, but he just hasn't clinched the top eight of a PD for us to talk about it. So, um Running bad, I guess. Yeah, I don't think we can uh, we can forget about the old time favorites, uh, David Rood and Gabe Sang. Uh, I guess they they both pretty had a pretty good coming back year, and I don't even know if the year's over yet for them. Um, there are another couple Canadian players that will be breaking onto the scene who have already broke onto the scene like four or five times. You know, it's like a victory lap for them. 
You're singing like I don't I don't know if it's a troll. Nothing's a troll, man. I, like I think I think the two of them combined are almost as good as John. Like not close. All right. Gets after rails. I think I think that will do it for for this week and um, for episode 100. Um, and hope for a, at least 100 more. Uh, I think we ended the A team at 300. Looking forward to continuing to cover the show with uh, the good folks, you guys or whoever. Due to life commitments, have to move on. Whether or it's Brian, whether it's Rob having two kids uh, and, and whatnot. So definitely support the show by liking this video, subscribing to the YouTube channel, liking our Facebook page, following us on Twitter, follow me on Twitter at KYT Magic or, or either of these fine folks at Andy Awkward, at Misplaced Ginger, sub to his Twitch channel. He's twitching, twitching, he's streaming regularly at twitch.tv slash Misplaced Ginger. And you know, with, with all these moving parts, it's hard to sort of add and we're feeling out different people but i'm glad andy and derek are, are happy to come back constantly come back as our regulars and people are actually sometimes asking me when there's a hot topic issue like i hope derek and andy are on because they they argue a lot other people not so much i know i know there's like some some hate towards uh ginger's negative attitude sometimes but hey as long as it's a hot take we'll take it and uh we're sort of slowly integrating Final Nub into the team. So he's going to be more than just like a random guest. He's going to be a semi, semi-regular. And I'm actually working with him to make sure that he actually puts some of his deck lists from the dojo in the First Strike Nation on, on a weekly basis. So he's going to be putting in the decks that he's tuning with. And when, like he's someone I really look forward to when it comes to tech because – when he's like talking to Derek and stuff, it's like he's always suggesting what I feel like are out of box ideas. So you have this guy, this crazy scientist. Even though Derek's shutting them down, he's the guy that you know. He's he's someone I would love to be on my pro tour team. The guy that like is willing to go out there and break a format. So definitely check that out. He'll be we'll be working together and hopefully have something for the nation for next week and and every week moving forward. And for information on joining the nation, go to Patreon.com/slash/FirstStrike. And I think that's it. What about you guys? Happy Halloween to everyone who, who went out and with their kids, like like Rob did. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine having children. I didn't want anybody to come to my door for candy. I can't imagine having to take kids to other people's doors for candy. <laughs> it's, it's adult Halloween tomorrow, where you can get your two dollar fifty counts of chocolate. <laughs> All right. I think shouts to. People, before we go, shout out to people in chat. Oh, Alex Bianchi is in here. Sergio Ferry, of course, love that guy. Omar, shout outs to you. Thank you so much for the support. And we will see you next Monday, next Tuesday, or Wednesday, whenever the guest is free sometimes. So see you guys. Thanks for the support. Much love to 100 more. See you guys. <laughs>